Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is my former co-host and friend, David Begin. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. It's an honor to be on your show now that it's become so <laughs> widespread. <laughs> Remember yeah. when we first started out with the Howell business, it was, uh, you know, the listenership was good, but it's gotten tremendous. So congratulations to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate that. And obviously, you know, I've always tried to think back as to whose idea it was, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was your idea to begin with to get into podcasting. It could have been. There was a lot of people I was surrounded with at the entrepreneurial training that I did with Dan Sullivan, who were doing podcasts. And we thought, hey, we had to do a podcast on business. Mm-hmm. Well, so here we are five years later, I think it is. Yes. So how many, how many episodes for you? Uh, this will be 360 something. So we're in the 360 range. That's amazing. And you know, most podcasts don't last more than 10 episodes, right? 10 or 20 episodes. And then they fade out as they say, that's right. Yeah. So fortunate. And so glad to have you. So in this episode is going to be free or wide ranging, but I'm going to highlight and, and David's going to share with us some of the highlights and lessons from his very successful small business ownership journey. And so that's what we're going to dive into. David Begin is a successful entrepreneur, my friend, business partner, and as I said, former co-host of this podcast. In 2006, David launched his first business, which is an exterior or was an exterior express car wash operation. After he had a very successful career in enterprise software sales, sales management, and sales training, and in uh, 2016, I joined David as a minority partner and investor in his third, my first car wash location in Colorado. And then in 2019, he sold all three car washes and had a very significant and well-deserved financial and personal success and event there. And we'll chat a little bit about that. David built one of the top performing car wash businesses in the country through what I, from my observation, where we're going to get his perspective, I think he did it through hard work, perseverance, determination, and smarts. We'll break down kind of what he thinks have been, or had been, some of the reasons for his success. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700 or visit thehowabusiness.com. David lives in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So once again, David, begin. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be with you, and congratulations on your success as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I, I want to kind of walk through the journey from beginning to end here in the 30 to 45 minutes or so that we usually do these, these episodes. Do you think back, do you remember when you decided you wanted to start your own business? Yeah, it was probably in the early 2000s. We had just moved to Colorado Springs, and I was thinking about uh, being part of a smaller community back then. Colorado Springs wasn't as large as it is today, and I thought about having a small business for some reason. It might have been the romance of having a small business or being a small business owner, but we were on the other end of the spectrum with the companies that we worked for, very large, prestigious international companies, and a lot of travel, but for some reason, it wasn't satisfying to me. And so as my kids started growing up and they were starting to enter junior high and high school, 
that's what I thought. You know, I had been gone a lot. I had traveled quite a bit and I wanted to be home more. And the way I thought about doing that was maybe investing in a small business. And so it was the early 2000s when I had thought about maybe doing that. And also just not being totally satisfied working for a large corporation or a corporation at all. Um, I just, for some reason, I just didn't feel good. I didn't fit in those environments very well. And I think I was starting to listen to my inner child and who said, hey, maybe you want to start doing something on your own. Mm-hmm. What, what, how old were you then? I was probably uh, just turning probably in early 40s. Yeah, early 40s. And I think when we opened the first car wash, I was 45. So later in life. And as you and I have discussed, I wish we would have, you know, considered this earlier, but you can never go back and say, well, I wish I would have done this or done that. I think things rolled out the way they needed to roll out for a reason. If we, if I wouldn't have moved to Colorado Spring, if I didn't have the job I had in corporate, in the corporate world or sales training world. And so I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had. So. But when you were younger, did you have thoughts or aspirations of becoming your own boss? No, I didn't know anything about it. And I was a little scared of it. I think a lot of people in the corporate world are a little bit scared about starting their own business. And I was one of those people. And my father was in the military. So we had, we didn't even have any business background. We, we had nothing. I had nothing to go on in terms of somebody modeling it to me. And so it was pretty scary, but I think you kind of get to the point in your life, you're like willing to take a risk and take a chance. And that's where I was. I, I kept my job as we started the car washes. I kept my job for two, two and a half to three years until I felt like, okay, we didn't need to feed these businesses anymore. And that's when I decided to take the jump and manage them full time. Yeah. You, you kept your love job for a long time. I remember us having discussions about that. And it was, it was kind of your security blanket or your, your, your life, your link back to, okay, if things go really bad here. It's almost like it took you a few years to, to really have full confidence that, yeah, this business is, is going to work. It did. But then the other side of the coin is we couldn't run the businesses very well and have full-time jobs at the same time. Right. It, it got it was, to that point, right, where you, somebody had to go run it full-time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, we, we got to the point where in order to do it well, you had to give it your, your full attention. And it was very difficult to work in a corporate environment and give these businesses full attention. There was this myth about this particular industry that it was a passive income industry. And if you just open them up, it doesn't take a lot of work. But <laughs> like, like anything you and I like to do, we like to do it well. And we realized that if we want to do this, we're going to have to focus on it full time. Yeah, I have found that, that that is a myth worth exploring because I have found that at least at our level, right, when we're starting one business location at a time, I, I have yet to find something that doesn't require some level of the owner's involvement, particularly in the startup, of course, and in the early years. Yeah, there's there's no doubt to that. You need to you need to focus on it to do it well. And we weren't. I wasn't doing it well for the first two or three years, and and it was you know, I was trying to do too many things at one time. I was trying to keep a full-time job in sales, which was difficult and run these businesses on the side. And, and it was my dream to, to get out of that anyway. So it became a good excuse for me to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, I don't think you got laid off, but you certainly had some, some experiences and different positions when you had a job that didn't work out. And yet 
it seems like for both of us, it still took us a while to let go of that perceived security of a job. Yeah, I, I was laid off a couple times. Okay, I couldn't remember. And it was that. difficult. I remember being laid off in 2005, and and that was difficult on me because I didn't control. I, I was flying flying to the West Coast to go to work and got a telephone call, told them I was laid off, and I'm standing in the airport wondering what to do. And and that was impactful for me mm-hmm. at that point, saying, I, I don't like this. I don't like somebody telling me when I can't work or when I can't work. And that was an impetus for me to really step on the gas and try to get this thing done. Yeah. Now you had no prior experience in the car wash industry. So None. tell me about that. Cause a lot of people will say, especially for your first business, it's positive. If you've got, if you leverage some experience, why did you even choose the car wash business? I'm you curious. know, that's a, I wish I had a long drawn out story <laughs> on how I did it, Henry, but it was one of those things I sort of lucked into. I, I, I just like car washing and a lot of, People like car washing because there's a lot of things going on and it looks mechanical and it's cool and everybody thinks, oh, I I think I'd like to do that. And I just started exploring it. I talked to some people in the car wash industry who got me hooked up with some some experts in the industry in Dallas. Thank goodness we had those experts because they really helped us be, you know, became successful. But I had conversations with these people for two or three years before we opened our first car wash. And so I learned about it as we went along, as we looked for sites and learned about the business. But I just, I truly just lucked out in picking the right industry at the right time. I mean, I, I think that's one reason why I was able to have an exit like we did, because I was in the right industry at the right time with the right type of business. And, and there is an element of luck. And I, I, I do realize that, you know, hard work goes into it, but we were lucky as well. Yeah, I've come to understand and believe, you know, I think my ego earlier in life would keep me from thinking that luck has anything to do with it. I do still believe that we put ourselves in the way of luck. We put ourselves in a position to be lucky, but timing does play a role in in small business and the success that we may or may not have, doesn't it? It does. It does. And that, you know, but you got to do everything you can to put yourself, like you said, in that spot where you can be lucky. Yeah, because, because if, you're, if you're, you don't enter the arena at all, then you're not going to get lucky, right? Yeah, and if you're not doing a good job, you're not going to get lucky either. So there's a lot good of people point. who entered at the same time we did who aren't doing as well, That's right. who don't focus on their business, don't have the same standards that you and I had when it came to running a business. And, you know, they're they're not doing well. And, and their opportunity to sell, to sell their business is there, but they're not going to get anywhere near what we got for ours. I'll come back to this point, but before I forget it, so how long do you recall from having the idea to opening the first location? I think it was in 2002 to 2003 when we started first getting the idea, and then we opened the business in 2006. It was about a three-year window or so, three weeks. Three to four years that we worked on it, and there were many times I was ready to give up on it, just say, you know what, this isn't going to work. We're not going to be able to find a site, or we're not going to be able to find the right, right, uh, right team or whatever it was. But there was a few times I was about to give up, but thank goodness we didn't do that. I think that's the other big takeaway here is that perseverance. I, in my experience with myself, yourself, other entrepreneurs, the the hundreds of people have had a chance to interview on this show. You got to stick to it. That's when it gets hard. A lot of people will quit. 
And uh, it just, it doesn't always come easy. In fact, usually it doesn't come easy. It is a process and you want, you have to want to fight through it. But what I have found, David, is that there's something, there's a vision that you have or a why, call it what you want, that keeps you fighting. Do you remember back then what, what it was that was driving you enough to get through those three years? Yeah, I just wanted out of the corporate lifestyle, I think. That was my focus and um, that kept me going. And, you know, I was able to transfer a lot of the skills I had in the corporate world as far as being persistent. Uh, I was able to transfer that to this particular project. So that that kept me going. Uh, but, you know, the, the vision of running my own business, making my own decisions kept, kept me going. And, uh, but there, you know, like I said, there was a few times where it came pretty close to quitting, but thank, thank goodness we didn't do it. All right. So you started to touch on something that's always interesting to me. The, I call it there, there are challenges or advantages rather, and disadvantages of coming from the corporate world into small business ownership. But let's start with the advantages. You, you started to touch on them there, but what do you think you learned in the corporate world especially the environment that we were in, that you were able to apply to small business. Yeah, you and I were really fortunate in that we worked in technology companies in the late 80s, early 90s. We worked with a lot of large corporations. We sold systems that helped them improve their practices from either a, a financial standpoint or logistics or manufacturing. We sold those type of systems to people. So we talked about best practices all the time. So we were familiar with best practices based on the systems that we sold, but we were also familiar with best practices based on the companies that we dealt with. We dealt with, you know, some of the largest companies in the world and learning what they do and how they do things just made it, gave us a body of knowledge that you don't get many places. Um, so even if you worked for corporations, sometimes you only work for one or two corporations and you learn the way they did it. You and I were able to learn the way 50 to 100 companies do it, which was really fortunate for us because we sort of developed that culture of best practices and best in class and making sure that we did things very, very well. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that, and so we've always applied that approach to business of how larger corporations do it. We, we have to scale it down, obviously, but that professional approach to business has been something we've been able to bring from our, from our corporate environment and corporate background, yeah. 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 I used to sell purchasing accounts payable, inventory manufacturing systems. And the way that we did accounts payable um, was, you know, people loved our accounts, always loved our books because we did them well. We had good chart of accounts. We had good processes in place. We made sure things, you know, footed at the end of the year, make sure things balanced. And so they were very appreciative of our books, but you and I learned that because we worked, you know, in corporate environments and we yeah. taught people, accounts payable. And we, we learned that from other corporations and how they did things. So although we probably didn't do things the way they did it, because they had a lot of processes and procedures and checklists and approvals, we did learn good ways of doing things. We, we learned the rigor of those systems. And, and I mean, we're going through selling a one of our businesses now, and that's already been given to us as feedback is how clean our books are, the systems that we have in place. And in the businesses that I've sold before, that also was highlighted that that approach is not, it's not common in small business. That's true. That's true. If you just start off in small business, you've got to figure out a way to learn those things. And many people never learn those, yeah. those techniques. But on the flip side, 
were there some disadvantages where there or were there some challenges, let's say that you had to overcome coming from the corporate world to owning your first business? Yeah, you don't realize all the things you need to know. So you need to know a little about a legal, you need to learn about, about a human resources, you need to learn about accounting and finance, you need to learn about operations. And I think more importantly, you need to learn about employees and management. If you're going to hire employees, you've got to learn those things. And you assume that you know these things because you worked in a corporate environment. Like, like you and I, I was a manager. I think you were a manager as well. I assumed I knew how to manage people. But you and I were managing some pretty high-performing, self-motivated individuals. And we got, you know, I was thrown into a different group of people when I was running car washes who were a lot different. And I didn't understand that. And it took me years and years to figure out how to manage those folks. And I was just always frustrated with them because I was like, why can't they be like the people I used to work with? Right. And so, yeah, you throw yourself in a situation where you think you know things because you might've been exposed to them, but you really don't know. You really don't understand and you haven't really learned and you haven't trained yourself in those areas. Yeah. Great points. I I think both of those are great points, but the, the one about resources is one that always comes up because again, as you, as you alluded to, in the corporate world, we have resources, whether that's admin or HR to lean on or legal, like you said, we have these other departments and we have those resources at our disposal one way or another. But when you become a small business owner, it's you. Maybe you have a partner, but, but, but it all relies on you. And then what I think is so critical there then, David, that often is hard for people is what I call being able to embrace decision-making. I think to be a successful business owner, you have to want to be the person that makes the ultimate decisions, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to feel comfortable making decisions. You got to learn how to make decisions and make them quickly and not hold on to those decisions. I think some people get stuck a lot of times when they're running a small business because they don't, they're not good at making choices. And I've seen that happen in the car wash industry where certain owners can't make decisions, can't make them quickly. And it really affects their business. It really affects their business. So you've got to be able to say, I'm willing to be the guy. I'm willing to make decisions. I'm willing to make a lot of decisions quickly and I'm willing to fix those decisions if they don't work out properly. And I'm okay with that. Mm, well, well said. That's such a big one. That's the way I've always explained it is I'm, I don't believe that I always make the right decision, but I have confidence that I can make decisions. And fortunately, most of my decisions I know are going to be good enough for the right decisions. I'll deal with my bad decisions but there's nothing worse than the paralysis of not being able to make a decision to move forward. Yeah. And there, there are times I've had times being a small business owner where I had difficulty making decisions and it's just the overall process of making too many decisions for too long. You get that decision fatigue syndrome. And I, I found myself a couple of times where I couldn't make a decision to save my life. And I said, okay, I got to get my head on straight here. I got to get back into the mode of making decisions and making quick decisions, quick, small decisions uh, kind of got me out of it. But there, you know, there's always that time where you just sort of get paralyzed making decisions. You're not sure if any decisions you're making are correct. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I've fallen into that if I've had a streak of bad decisions, you know, and so I lose my confidence. Yeah. And then what we have to do as owners and hopefully we get help, we lean on a mentor, we lean on a partner and we, we have to get our confidence back because that this is part of being a business owner. 
Yeah. And I, I felt good being that person. So you know what? I'm the guy making the decisions here. And yep. although I don't make them correctly all the time, I do feel good that I'm the person making those choices. The thing that I think you and I might've done a podcast on this in the past, but you talk about your employees and your team will rely on you to make decisions for them. And you've got to train those people to make decisions for themselves and then talk about their choices. Um, and I think that was really important. Sometimes I would, you know, in my management style, I was a little heavy handed and I, and I got to the point where people were afraid to make decisions. They were asking me all the time, what, what should they do? And I finally got to the point to realize that what I've, what I've created here wasn't healthy. And so I would go back to them and tell them, well, what do you think we should do? And why, why do you think we should do it? And if I didn't get an answer, I said, well, think about it. And then contact me when you've got a, a good answer. Yeah. Such, such a great point. And you're right. And we'll have, I'll have links to a couple of those episodes because we've talked about that topic specifically. And then we, we've done several episodes on how to delegate effectively so that you can empower your team to make decisions. That it's so yeah. critical. Right. All right. Expanding upon that, as you look back now, you know, you have been very good throughout your career. We both, we both had to be become what I call consciously competent. In other words, there's, there are people who are good at what they do, but they don't necessarily know how to articulate why. We had to learn that in sales. Why were we good at certain things? How do we improve in other areas? When it comes to business and you look back, you know, this decision-making is a key one. But what are some of the things that stand out to you that have been keys to your success in business? I think you've got to be somewhat humble. I think you can learn from other people. The guys in my industry that are really good at what they do and, they, and they're consistently good at what they do. They're always learning. They're always getting together in mastermind groups or they're going on tours and visiting other car washes in other parts of the country. They're learning from each other. It's, it's, it, it's amazing to me that I typically see the same 10 or 20 guys or gals that get together and are on the same bus tours, on, in, in the same workshops. They're always learning. So always trying to figure out, is there a better way we can do this? How does this person do it? What are the advantages and disadvantages of the way they do it? And being willing to change what they do based on what they're learning. So I think humility is probably one of the most important attributes of being a successful entrepreneur. Uh, and don't think you've got to figure it out because just as soon as you think you've got to figure it out, then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, so. I love that. Being humble, humility, always learning, curiosity. I have found that part of my success, yours, people that I've observed and admired, that's a key component. I think I struggled with this early on because I think my ego was like, well, I have to at least pretend like I know it all. And once I started to learn to let go of that and understand that we're always learning, you're continuously learning, that that's what it's all about. I think what saved me is you and I are both curious people we're always curious of how does that work and how do, how do they do that? And let me ask questions. And that's been a big part of our success, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And I just, I love that aspect of running a business or being a business owner is learning and learning from other people. And thank goodness the car wash industry is lends itself to that. It was very much a, uh, a small business owner type of environment. So people were willing to share, willing to have you on site and show you their operations and talk about uh, best practices. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing I think, and I learned this much later in my career, was when I started focusing on making my team successful. So really focus on the employees and what can you do to bring out the best in your employees? 
and the best in creating good teamwork. When I started focusing on that, I saw a big difference in our business. I saw more growth. I saw a lot more stability in the workforce. I saw employees be much happier. But that, but that was a lesson that I learned late um, in my career. And I wish I'd have learned it earlier was if you focus on what do your employees need to be successful and what can you do as a business owner to give them the resources to be successful? What can you do to, to eliminate the friction in the organization? That's what my job was as an owner. And once I figured that out, my job was to eliminate the friction and create a good environment for them to work. That made a lot of difference. That made a, pretty much all the difference in the world when it came to owning a business. I became a much better business owner. I became happier as a business owner when I figured that out. And the employees obviously were much happier as well. Yeah, absolutely, David. That, I think that's when you started to make the transition from a business owner to an entrepreneur. Yeah. But there's yeah. so much that's tied into this. This is such a big one, right? Yeah. And it just, it's such, and I kicked myself for not learning that lesson earlier because I'm sure I burned a lot of bridges and burned a lot of, you know, relationships along the way as well. But if you can learn anything is if you're going to have a team of people, your job is to make that team successful. So whatever that person needs to be successful. And sometimes the best thing you can do for that person is let them go, let them go find something else that they can go do to be successful. Sometimes it's not a good fit for them in your organization, but focus on your employees and your employees will take care of the rest of the business. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of our sponsors and one of my favorite podcasts, Stroke of Genius, is back for season four. Stroke of Genius season four explores the most pressing questions, fascinating stories, and often overlooked marvels that make up the world of intellectual property. From famous copyright cases to the unheard stories behind impactful inventions, each episode transports us to a different place within the landscape of human innovation. This season, they chat with entrepreneurs and innovators who have used intellectual property protections to positively affect issues like COVID-19, food deserts, and everything in between. Join the Stroke of Genius podcast as they dig deeper into the journeys of the world's most influential difference makers. Get more information at ipoef.org and subscribe to Stroke of Genius on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. One thing you mentioned there, and I've always had this philosophy, well, maybe not always, but I came to this philosophy that I, I believe that most employees, and I don't care what level, from hourly wage employees up to highly talented and highly motivated professionals, that most people want to do the right thing. They want to do the right job, but we as owners don't let them for all kinds of different reasons that you've articulated. We, we get in the way, or what I think happens for a lot of us, and understandably, because initially... We are, we have to, we have the responsibility, right? We're the one that has to be there 24 seven to get started. We have to make all those hard decisions as we just talked about. It's because of us, we have to make it happen. But then at some point, we, we don't necessarily know when to step back and start developing our team, as you said, to make decisions and to empower them to do what they want to do, which is most people want to do the right thing. That's right. And I, I agree with that. And I heard a saying not too long ago, which I think made a lot of sense, is that your employees are either the hardest working, most caring, most diligent people you've ever met, or they're the laziest, <laughs> no good, money-grubbing people in the world. And both of those statements are true. 
So which one do you want to believe and which one do you want to believe in your employees? Because they will become one or the other. And a lot of it depends on your mindset. So if you believe your employees are the greatest people, they're the hardest working, they want to do their best job, they want to please the customer, they want to please you. If you really believe that, then your employees will evolve into that. And you will if, attract those kind of people. That's exactly right. If you, if you believe the other story, they will evolve into that. And I've seen it happen in both situations. We, we know so many business owners, David, that are at that point and they're burnt out and they hate it and every, they feel like everybody's against them and now to get them. And we're not, we're not trying to paint a picture that this is easy. <laughs> business ownership and having employees has tremendous challenges. But when you realized this, not, not that you were ever that extreme, but when you realized that, that was, a, that was a monumental shift for you in business ownership and in your health as a person and as a business owner. Is that fair? It really is true. Yeah, that's, a, that's absolutely correct. And I, again, I didn't understand how to manage people. I didn't understand how to motivate them. I thought everybody was like me and they were self-motivated. And that was the craziest thing in the world that I thought everybody would be like me. Why does it, why is not everyone like me? And they're, they're just not, they come from different backgrounds. They have different, different motivations. Um, you know, they, they don't have the experiences I have. They're not the owner, which is another thing I hear people say is, Oh, make sure your employees think like an owner. Right. Well, they're not the owner. So how do you expect them to think like an owner? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. And I think I've, I've applied that in other businesses and thinking, you know, it's, it's silly to think that my employees want to be with me, especially younger employees for five, 10 years. Instead, that time that they are with me, what if I help them grow and they give me in return the, what I expect from them? And it's a good exchange of value for the period of time that it makes sense for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that did become my goal is I wanted everybody to be involved in our organization for as long as they wanted to be involved but I wanted them to take away some skill sets that they could apply to their next job so they can improve and, you know, grow themselves and get their better paying jobs or whatever they, they were looking for. I wanted them to leave our organization better. Yeah. That's a wonderful goal. All right. Any other, a couple of, we could go on forever on this, but is there one or two other personal traits that you think you need to have to be a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, I think, You've got to have, you've got to be willing to work and you've got to be able, you got to be willing to do things other people are not willing to do. So if you have to work a Saturday or a Sunday, sometimes you have to do those things, but that's what you signed up for when you're a business owner. Sometimes you're going to be the person opening the business and you've got to be willing to do that. You want to do everything you can to make sure you're not always the person that opens the business, but if you have to do it, you have to do it. Uh, I remember my phone was on 24 hours a day because I could get calls all hours of the day and night. If somebody was trying to break into the car wash, I would get a call from the security company. Now, thank goodness I don't have to do that anymore, but that's, that's what you, you know, you have to be willing to take that responsibility and take that level of, of ownership. If you're going to be the entrepreneur or the owner. It's about sacrifice. And I, I find that that is something that a lot of times people lack. They, they have an idea. They might even be passionate but what are you willing to sacrifice? Because that's what it takes. And, and by sacrifice, it's, it's about, usually it's about time with other people, including sometimes our families. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are, are you willing to do what it takes to do it? And that's, that's a good question you should ask yourself. And, you know, most times it's, it's, you know, you are going to sacrifice something. You're going to sacrifice your, 
free time. You're going to sacrifice a little bit of family time sometimes, but, uh, but I think in the long run, it's well worth it for everybody involved. All right. We'll take a shift here. You know, in the last few years now, and maybe it's just because I'm around it more, there's a lot more talk about an exit plan and what's your exit plan and go into a business with an exit plan. And even if you think you're not going to sell anytime soon, but I don't remember a lot of that focus. At least I wasn't around it. When you first started a business, did you have an exit plan? No, we had no exit plan. <laughs> and I was asked that by multiple people, what's your exit plan? And I go, I don't want to have an exit plan, which really kind of stuck in the back of my brain for a lot of time. I thought, no, we can run this for a long, long time. But that was not a good way of thinking because you're going to exit your business one way or another. Um, we, 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 we know some people who talk about that, you know, and talk about business exit strategies that, you know, one way or another, you're going to exit your business. Either your partners are going to take it over or something's going to happen to you and it's going to pass on, but there will be a business exit. So we don't like to think about that because, you know, we're focused on starting and growing the business and exiting the business. It's almost like, oh, if we think about that, it'll bad things will happen, but that's really not the case. It is, it is a very big component of what you need to think about as you, as you, you build your business. And it could be your exit is you're just going to shut the doors and you're going to tell your clients you've gone out of business and refer them to some other businesses in the area. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. A lot of people don't want to do that. They'd rather sell their business. But uh, yeah, business exit planning was not, was not one of my did you think my your, your boys might take it over? Was that a thought you had back then? No, it really wasn't because I had business partners and I wasn't mm. really, I was, you know, I was in operational control, but I wasn't interested in passing on the business uh, to the kids. I, I thought it would be better if they sort of struck out on their own. So why did you decide to sell? Well, a couple of things. We, I didn't have a, the partnership arrangement really didn't, allow for an exit. So we didn't really have a clear exit strategy. And I became the active partner and I had passive partners. And so for me, the business became a lot more important than it did to the other partners who were just passive partners. And so if something happened to me, I didn't know what would happen to my family or happen to my wife or what, you know, what would happen from a legacy standpoint. And so I was concerned about that. Um, and also, there's been a lot of consolidation in the car wash business in the last five years. And so there's been a lot of institutional money buying up individual car washes. And we had some pretty high performing car washes. And we had built our car washes back when there wasn't a lot of competition in Colorado Springs or Denver. And by the time we thought about selling in 2018-19, we saw this big wave of new units being open. And we knew that our performance in our car wash would probably go down. So in 2019, we had an opportunity, we had an offer and we spent about the next six to nine months working on that offer and we got it closed in August, but we probably hit that particular, I mean, our timing was really good on that because I think our, our performance was as good as it was going to be. It was six months before COVID had hit, which affected car wash volumes, at least in our part of the country. And so our, our timing was really, really good. Valuations were good. It was also an opportunity for me to exit out of the business. So a couple of things in looking back when it comes to partnerships, we've, we've talked a lot about partnerships on this show. You and I have done episodes on it. 
in looking back, because you didn't go into that partnership with any kind of an exit strategy in mind, that's something you would do completely different now if you were doing it all over again. Yeah, I would make it very easy for one of the partners to buy out the other partner um, at that point. And if you were going to be in control or be the operational partner, you should have a lot more say in what takes place in the business. And so th those are two things I would do differently. And if you're going to partner with somebody, partner with them because they have something you don't have. Either they've got an expertise or they've got money or they've got something that you can't get a hold of. That would be a reason to partner. So one of the things I know you struggled with, we, we, we both struggled with, everybody struggles with this, is this whole this whole thing of, all right, do I take, I look at it, even though I'm not a gambler, I kind of look at it as, okay, do I take the chips off the table now because I'm being paid for the equivalent of money that I would have made over X number of years, right? Whatever that multiple is that you're being offered for your business. Or the other side of it is, do I keep this business that's generating money? It's a good, successful, established business. Do I do that? Because I could continue to make money beyond that horizon. I've always been of the school of thought that if I can clear that money off the table, what I eliminate is the ongoing risk or liability that I cannot completely foresee nor mitigate of continuing to operate the business. And it's very different philosophy. And, and a lot of times, and you, you've got advice from people who are not business owners, but are financial advisors who look at it from a spreadsheet perspective. And I'm not trying to to speak ill of anybody because there's just different perspectives on this. But when you look at it, it's just strictly the numbers. The question was, well, heck, if you sell this, David, then what are you going to replace that with, right? Where, where else are you going to put that money? But the flip side of it is that you were able to now secure this financial position, amongst other reasons, like we talked about, secure this financial position without the ongoing risk of operating the business. You had to really think through those things as you were going through this, right? Yeah, it's a real difficult conversation in your brain when you're a small business owner, because if you're a corporation and you sell, who cares, mm -hmm. right? You know, you're going to get a big payout. You're going to have different owners. It doesn't really matter. But when you're a small business owner, you tend to wrap a lot of your personal identity in what you do. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people from thinking about selling their business. But yeah, I, I think you, you bring up a great point and there are smart financial people who do talk about the fact that there's ongoing risk of owning a business and you've got to take that in consideration. I mean, we could have been wiped out. We could have had an employee seriously injured or killed on the site. And that would have really hurt our business. Um, you know, we could have been uh, overwhelmed by a large car wash chain who built 50 of them near our car washes. You, you never know. You never no, know no. what's going yeah. to happen. So no, no. you do have to take that into consideration, but um, unless there's really good personal reasons for you to hang on to a business, you need to think about what your price is for selling. I think every business needs to be for sale under the right circumstances and the right conditions. Um, I, I do like the fact that some businesses are passed on to, to you know, family members. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like that idea. I think it's, it's a good idea, but there's a lot of minefields when you're doing that. And I've talked to a few business owners who are trying to pass businesses down to their kids and there might be a certain kid that really wants to be involved in it and work hard. There's another kid that doesn't want any part of it, but that person that doesn't want any part of it thinks they're entitled to some of the business when it gets sold. Right. And so there's a lot of minefields that can be generated um, when you start passing businesses down. 
So um, I just think it's smart just having a, what I call a strike price. So if somebody's coming in and they're going to offer you this amount of money and it's anywhere close to that, you need to think about taking it. I saw a sign in a, in a plumbing store where they had some of these old plumbing parts and seconds and damaged equipment that they were selling kind of off in the corner and said, and there was a sign that said, make an offer, but don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> and so that's the same thing you've got to do in your brain. Don't think you're going to get 80 times earnings for your business uh, because you think it's worth that or some, you know, don't, if you come up with what it would be a high price, but a reasonable price, if somebody offered you for that business and if somebody got close to it, then, you know, maybe it's time for you to go ahead and yeah, sell. You got to give there, it a strong consideration. Yeah. A lot of business owners don't get to sell. No. And for, for whatever reason, they don't set it up for sale. It's too dependent on the owner for selling. Um, you know, so if you do have an opportunity to sell your business, it's, it's, it's quite an honor to get to a place like that. And thank goodness the car wash industry is like that. It's a business that lends itself pretty well to, to selling. It's not dependent on the owner to run. Um, so, you know, think about that. And if you, if you are in a place to sell it, then you might consider selling it. If, if you're not, then think about what you need, need to do to get there. That's right. That's right. When you think back, is there anything else that comes to mind right now that surprised you about either the, the process or the experience or the aftermath of having sold your business? Yeah, I think I underestimated the emotional part of selling your business and how difficult that was for me. I, I did wrap a lot of my personal identity in, in the business. And so when I let go of that, I had to restructure who I was and what's my identity now. And it's taken a while. I've, I've been out of it for like a year and a half. And I think I'm just starting to get my brains back uh, when it comes to that. But last year was difficult because of COVID. But uh, also just trying to make that adjustment from not being a car wash owner was was difficult. And so don't put all your eggs in, in your business basket from an individual standpoint. You know, you're still a father. You're still a husband or a wife or a partner. You've got to think about other things that you are because if that business gets taken away or you sell it, you know, you don't lose your identity. And I think that's important for people to uh, understand and realize. Yeah, I agree with you, David, but I don't know if it can be avoided. I mean, you, how long were you in the business? About almost 15 years. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, about 15 years. You, you, it was successful and you had the successful ex exit in great part because of your effort, because of your dedication, because of your concentration, because you were all in. I don't know how we completely avoid that it doesn't become a big part of our identity when we sell it. And then we, we go through this transition period. I don't, I don't, can you, do you think you can completely avoid that? I don't think you can can completely avoid it. But I think if you don't work on it as you're mm -hmm. running your business, I think you'll end up like I did where you kind of floundered for a while. I think mm -hmm. you need to think about a time when you don't own that business and who are you at that point? Yeah. Um, I think if you do that while you own the business, I think it'd be a lot more helpful, but just, you know, think about who you are besides being a business owner. The problem is we, we get a lot of juice from that. We get a of lot course. of positive vibes it strokes our ego, you know, when we have a successful business that really strokes our ego and, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. I think when you do that. Well, I mean, as Americans, we ask that, that question, what do you do? Oh, I, I own a successful car wash. And so yeah. that is how we identify ourselves in big, in the big part as Americans, I'm generalizing, but it, that is part of how we do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's going to be good times and bad times in anyone's life. And we we need to prepare for those times when things aren't going very well. And so, you know, you you just got finished reading a couple books that talked about the different business leaders who started companies that weren't Mm -hmm. successful or they were lying about what was going on in the business. And that's a great example of, you know, what, what their ego was doing. So if you let your ego get out of control, then, um, you know, you, you set yourself up for a fall and I sort of did that. I mean, I, you know, I, I admit that I probably did that because I got a lot of personal satisfaction by being a car wash owner, by being part of the car wash industry. I was the board chair of the international car wash association. And, and so there was a lot of things that were going on with me and I, Hey, this is super, this is great. I'm getting to meet super people all over the world. Well, you know, when it ended, it was like, okay, what do I do now? So don't, right, you, don't you, almost, you had a little bit of feeling like, am I relevant? Am I still relevant? And That's you are, right. we'll talk about it in a moment, what you're doing next, but there is that feeling of, okay, well, who am I now? That's right. That's right. So don't, you know, think about times that aren't going to be so good and who you are, because that's what's going to sustain you through the hard times. You know, we think about guys in 2008, remember when the stock market crashed and all that, you know, where people lost everything, um, you know, they were probably looking at themselves asking, who am I now? Um, you know, if you, if you think about those things beforehand, it certainly makes a, the uh, landing a lot softer. I, so as a successful business owner, I know you get asked often, uh, I want to start a business. What are your tips for getting started? And it could be any industry, car wash, whatever. Are there a couple of things that come to mind that when somebody comes to you, and, and this is what I hear a lot, I'm sure you do as they, well, I got a great idea. Uh, so what, what tips do you give people as to what actions, steps they should take first or next to get started? Yeah, you got to just set aside some time to, to do the work. Uh, so you've got to say, okay, is this idea that I've got viable? Uh, let me talk to a lot of people about it. If you want to have a retail location, start driving around looking at retail locations. Understand what it takes to lease a re- retail location. So go talk to a commercial real estate agent. So start putting a little bit of time educating yourself on what it is you think you want to do. Um, the other thing I would say, like you talk about, is can you keep you know your day job and do this as a side hustle for a while? I think that's a that's a pretty good strategy. So you can learn about it in kind of a risk-free environment. Um, and then just learn all you can. So, um, you know, just make sure that you're learning all you can about what it is you think you want to do and don't let the frustration stop you. And I think that stops a lot of people, you know, a lot of people want to get in the car wash industry. And when you talk about the price of building a car wash, then that runs about 50% of them Mm -hmm. off. And then the other 50% that want to stick it out, probably 30 or 40% of them quit because it's hard. Yeah. Because when you start really looking for good sites, it's hard and they get snapped up or, you know, for whatever reason, things don't work out. And I've, you know, worked with a number of different people who wanted to be potential car wash owners who just quit. So, you know, if it's something you're serious about, don't quit. You might change what you decide to do, but make sure you put a little bit of time in every day or a little bit of time every week in understanding and learning that process. Well said. All right. So what are you focused on now? Well, I'm starting a consultant, a car wash consulting company, believe it or not. I have maybe three to five clients right now, but we're going to do some work uh, with a car wash equipment manufacturer in providing operational consulting. So we're going to help new investors in the car wash industry, make sure they're doing all the right things before, during, and after a car wash opening. 
So making sure they've got the right processes and the procedures in place and the right operational documents so that they can do the very best they can in competing in the car wash market. So we're excited about that and uh, looking forward to working with new investors. It's uh, the website is carwashos.com. And uh, if you're in the car wash business, give us a call. It's exciting. One of the things that was advantageous to you, you've spoken about it before on this podcast, is that you went into an industry where there's a lot of help available. But now this program that you're working on takes it to another level, I think, because you're you're packaging all of the lessons that you learned and other operators, because you know, you've had exposure to so many operators in your different capacities and experiences and knowing so many people. And so that, you know, you talked about what does it take to get started when somebody asks you and the learning part of it is so critical. What we want, what we need to do as small business owners is to try to mitigate and try not to make those easy mistakes that others can guide us through. And I think you're still going to make plenty of mistakes. You're still going to have plenty of challenges. There's no magic formula here, but by taking this approach and leveraging the stuff you're putting together, it helps us avoid a lot of those common mistakes, right? Yeah, it really does. I mean, I think if you're going to open your own car wash or open any business, you're going to make about 5,000 mistakes. And so if you get a good partner to kind of help you through that process, you might eliminate 95% of those mistakes. And that that's really what we're kind of focused on helping people do is, you know, we, we understand what it takes to run a good car wash. We've seen great car washes, you know, out there in the marketplace. We've ran our own great car washes in the marketplace and so if you're going to make that investment, you want to make sure you're doing everything you can to optimize that investment. And that's what our focus is. Do you think you'll ever retire in the traditional sense of retiring? I don't know. I've, I've been with you in Florida for about a week and uh, <laughs> I'm seeing people run around in shorts and t-shirts and I'm kind of liking it. So no, I don't know. I don't think I will. I hope not to. I think I realized that when I didn't have much to do, I was looking for something to do. I don't think I'll retire in, in a traditional sense. If I get to the point I can't really do anything, then I probably will. But I, I think I, I would prefer not to retire in the in the traditional sense and just sort of do less and less of what I'm doing and also do more of what I want to do and then hire people to do the other other part of it. So making sure I'm kind of focused on my unique ability, as Dan Sullivan likes to say. I think that's the key. I, I think that you and I and most entrepreneurs we know, we want to continue to have an opportunity to keep creating. Now we want more of why we got into business, more freedoms of time and place and location and doing the things that we want to do. But I think we are wired to create. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I just don't want to stop because I think I realize if I'm not, if, you know, if, if, if I'm not moving, if I'm not, you know, if there's not perpetual motion in my life and I just stop, you know, I'm going to become a blithering idiot. So <laughs> I just, I got to keep going. All right. Is there a book you've read recently or in the past that comes to mind here that you would recommend? Yeah, there's two books that I really like that I've, it's, it's the books I gave away to business people or friends of mine. It's by Ryan Holiday, who's become pretty famous with his podcasts and his books. And he's, he's got two books I like, one of them called Ego is the enemy. So he takes a look at it from a stoic perspective. So he looks at the ancient philosophers and um, looks at stoicism and talks about examples where ego has really, you know, been the enemy of somebody being, being successful. 
Um, I gave this book to a friend of mine or my financial planner about a year ago, and he was rereading it this year. And it's one of those books I think you should read at least once a year. It's a quick read. It's a great book. The other book is The Obstacle is the Way. So he talks about when things get tough, how do you see that obstacle as an opportunity to learn? And uh, he has a lot of great examples. So, you know, if, if you've not heard of Ryan Holiday, really recommend his books. And uh, Annie Duke, which you had that book in your car, I think, but uh, she's ah, got yes. a book called Thinking in Bets, which was really a fascinating book. Uh, she looks at it from the standpoint of a poker player trying to make choices on whether to bet or not bet and then how to do that. And she's got another book coming out in May called Decisions. And I've already pre-ordered that book, but if uh, Annie Duke is, uh, is a great author, she's got a really interesting view on things. And so those would be the, the two authors I'd recommend at this point. Yeah. Great recommendations. I've, I've read both of Ryan Holiday's books because you've gifted them to me. And then again, it's interesting and in looking back at this conversation, both of these apply to what we've talked about. The obstacle is the way, you know, if, if we haven't had one of the biggest obstacles in the history of business in the way of COVID, I don't know what else is. Yeah. So it, it really helps to think through those things. But uh, you are a big reader as I am, but you're challenged also with having concentrated time, making the time. Have you been reading uh, books or listening to books, audio? What has been your approach to consuming content? Yeah, I have. I consume a lot of podcasts. So I like, you know, I like listening to podcasts. I've been listening to a lot, a lot of long, long form content on podcasts here recently, which I enjoy. And I have been listening to audiobooks. My attention span, something that car washing did to me because it's such a <laughs> chaotic environment is it right. crushed my attention span. So I'm having to learn to get my attention span back. I have trouble reading nowadays. I read for five minutes and I want to go on to something else, but uh, I'm trying to improve my attention span because there's a lot of things I've got to get done in the next three to six months that's going to require dedicated focused time. And so I need to, you know, get my face out of YouTube and Netflix and um, start focusing on things again. Yeah, I think it is a discipline that we have to be conscious of. Are we losing it as a, as a muscle, right? We have to yeah. stay on top of it. Agreed. All right, we'll wrap it up. I usually, at the end of every show, I ask one thing that you want us to take away. And so I want you to think about that question in the context of this journey that you've had. And if you were counseling someone on here, here's my experience, what it takes to be successful in business. What's one thing you'd want us to take away from this conversation related to that? Yeah, it's going to be scary if you decide that you want to go into small business. And that's what Henry helps people with. I mean, if you want to, you know, talk about plugging Henry and his coaching, you know, he helps people kind of get over that hump from, you know, being scared of coming from an environment that they're comfortable and they understand to an environment they don't know. You're going to be afraid, but go ahead and do it anyway. I think you're going to realize when you get on the other side and you're operating a small business, it wasn't that bad. And there's a lot of people out there doing it. And so they don't have a magic formula. They don't have a magic secret. Um, don't, don't be afraid to do it. I mean, it's okay to be afraid, but don't let that fear stop you from doing it. Well said, you know, it brings to mind Dan Sullivan, which you mentioned and his, his thoughts and philosophy on people think that they have to have the confidence to go do something. But in fact, as we've talked about in this conversation, it's that commitment and the courage to try something we haven't done before and that we may very well fail at. That's what it takes. Not that's right. Confidence comes later. Yeah. 
confidence comes after that, right? And if you need confidence, go look at what you did in the past and, you know, look, look at those successes you had in the past and then use that to propel yourself forward. Yeah. And as small business owners, what we do is we're, we're willing to bet on ourselves. We're saying, you know what, as I like to say, I'm tired of helping somebody else get wealthy. I'm going to help myself. And it's to your definition of wealthy, myself and my family, I'm going to work for that. And I'm betting on myself. And that's what it's about, I think. That's exactly right. Agreed. All right. Tell us again where to go online to learn more about your new venture. Yeah. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, go to Car Wash OS. So it's the word car wash and OS is an operating system.com. And uh, you can find out what we're doing out there. Wonderful. As always, David, a great conversation. And so thanks again for taking the time to be with me on the show today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Henry. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The Howard Business. My guest again today was my former, and really my still, my co-host, David Begin. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.